And I hope that we have that hunger in our hearts for a closer relationship with, with the Trinity, our Savior, with the Holy Spirit, submitted to him, and, and the Father. All of those things together a good reminder. Well, turn to 2 Samuel again, 2 Samuel chapter 9. And this is the last time, as far as I expect, that we'll be looking at David's life on Sunday evenings. Um, this is a good place, kind of a high point here, though it's hard to beat as a high point the Davidic covenant and David's praise and God's mercy in his life. That really is the high point, um, the peak of David's life in many respects. But this is one aspect, and it's just a beautiful story. As David contemplates God's grace, his undeserved grace in his life, and he's overwhelmed. Then in this really kind of short story, David shows that grace to others. And so it, it's beautiful. It's, I think, really represents one of David's finest moments here and highlights his character as having, as one that's having a heart for God and willing to help others that are helpless, recognizing his own lack of deserving of God's blessings and giving to others who don't deserve it, who are helpless as well, who can't help themselves. You've, I'm sure, we've all heard this test of one's good character, spiritual character. Is there help and care for individuals who can give nothing back in return? And I really believe that's true. It is a test of a good man or woman who's willing to help out those when they, they, they can't give anything back. They can't receive anything from them, you know. Whenever we see a, a politician that acts in this way, we, we think twice, oh, that, that's good to see because it's kind of rare. If you can't help out that person and, and their political ambitions, then they're of no use to you. And we understand this in a lot of different venues. But it really is the mark of a spiritual person that God is working in their lives. And we see that. David passed going to pass this test of flying colors. But beyond just helping an individual who is helpless. Uh, more importantly, even than that, David follows through in covenant faithfulness to God and to an old friend. Remember Jonathan? He's faithful to his friend Jonathan and even more importantly, his commitment to God. Because it says, and we'll go back and look at this in a minute, that Jonathan and David made a covenant together. And that means they made it before God. So it was um, with the understanding that God was looking upon them and they were binding themselves to this covenant. And so it was a covenant with God, with God as well, a very serious thing. And yet a lot of time has gone by. Uh, it, even as we look back in 1 Samuel 20, briefly, where we see that David and Jonathan made that covenant, it seems like a long time since we've been there. And David, like many, could have just forgotten or just said all that was so long ago, nobody's really keeping track of that anymore. But he doesn't do that. He stays faithful to his commitment. And so we have a beautiful picture here of a king's faithful kindness. Um, let's see. Let's just read the first few verses in chapter 9 together. And David said, 
Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, and he is crippled in his feet. This is repeated many times, and the theme there is this man's helplessness. And David is going to show great kindness to this man. Father, thank you for this beautiful, short, but meaningful story. David, you've now blessed him as a great king. You have made him exceedingly great promises. You've given him victory and rest from enemies and all these things and more. And David is humbled by this. He's not made arrogant, Father, and he is willing to show grace and mercy to others now, to show your loyal love, your chesed to others. And let us be encouraged tonight, even as we look at the blessings that you have bestowed upon us, to make sure that we have the character that looks around and is willing to help others, maybe who don't deserve it, maybe who are helpless and, and desperate. And let's, Father, um, Submit to your leading as we consider this story again, a well-familiar story. But let us be inspired to look into our own lives and show this kind of loyal love to others because of all the loyal love you've shown to us. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> David has been established as king, and he's done all these wonderful things. He's stabilized, really, worship in the kingdom. Brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Um, there's the tabernacle is, is, is put back in place and constructed and all of these things. God's provided rest as David has fought Israel's enemies and, and brought them uh, rest from all of those things. And so uh, David has had many wonderful accomplishments here and God has blessed him greatly. And now throughout all of this, it's time for David to turn his attention all the way back to that covenant promise that he made to his dear friend Jonathan all those years ago. And let's go ahead and turn and remind ourselves of that. First Samuel 20, turn there, verses 12 through 17. And let's take in this picture again as a reminder. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? And you remember all the background here. I'm not going to get into all that. Now we've covered that before. But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not disclose it to you. And send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And David was willing to do that. That wasn't in God's perfect plan. David was willing to do that. But if he would die, verse 15, do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. 
when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. I think Jonathan was looking at this and saying, because my dad is an enemy of David, there's a possibility that I could lose my life. David, remember my family. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. Before the Lord, they made this covenant. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And this is so unique. This folks, kingdoms, pagan kingdoms just don't operate this way, especially in this time. Even if you're, you know, you're seeing movies and, and shows and different things about medieval kingdoms and things, it's always you try to eradicate all the enemy, your, your, the enemy kingdoms, and um, you certainly don't want any of the king's lineage to survive because that is a threat to your throne. And so in, in, in this culture, even in this time, in this Old Testament era, this was just not done uh, for one that was uh, a, uh, in, in competition for the throne to make a covenant like this and then say that he would commit to allowing that alternate dynasty to continue forever is just not done. And it's just a, again, a, a mark of the character of these two men, that their relationship with God drew them together and they were willing to do this because of their love for each other. And so now David is remembering this and thinking, how can I follow through on this prom this promise, this covenant that I made with Jonathan? And interesting thing is, as we look at um, verse 1 in chapter 9, 2 Samuel 9, chapter 1, David said, is there anyone still, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Actually, David expands his covenant with Jonathan to anyone in Saul's lineage. He didn't have to do that. But he's saying, is there anybody within Saul's family beyond even Jonathan here that, that I can show kindness and love to? The kindness for Jonathan's sake. All of this is because of his relationship with Jonathan. And he begins to search for those of Saul's lineage. Now, we already know, right? that there's one left, at least one exists of the house of, of, of Jonathan's lineage. And 2 Samuel 4, 4, go ahead and turn there real quick. Just go back. Chapter 4, verse 4. Kind of an odd place to put this information, but this is to remind us as Ishbosheth was getting ready to lose his life over treachery, uh, that there was another in the lineage of Saul, another son that was still living. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. And we have already been made aware of this tragic and, and yet, at the same time, this, this man is still living, but David still has to find out. And, and how is he going to do that? Well, he's going to do that through the steward of Saul's house, a guy named Ziba, 
And this was the house steward. He was the guy that was still over all of Saul's property and all of his possessions. He was the one who was the house manager, the property manager. You know, you could think of a lot of terms for this. Uh, but he would be the one that David would go to first. And so David calls him to come to him and appear before him. Verse 2, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am. I am your servant. And he makes proper obeisance. I mean, this Ziba seems like a decent guy. He's out of the house of Saul. He would tend to be partial towards Saul. And yet, coming before David, I'm here to serve you. <clears throat> well, that's a good start. Uh, what does David want? The verse 3, and the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. Again, not just Jonathan, but anybody of Saul's um, relatives or anybody still living. He's searching with a broad brush here. Uh, Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, and he is crippled in his feet. Uh, this man's name was Mephibosheth, as we already heard. Actually, in the Chronicles, if you ever read through the Chronicles version of this, Mephibosheth also had another alternate name, Merib Baal. Um, if you ever see that word, that's Mephibosheth too. And he also tells him of his disability. And we're going to continue to read of this. In, in our modern culture today, it's like, well, let, let's not highlight that. Let's not make a big deal about someone's disability and, and their hardship. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to make them think that it, it's, it's what we're focusing on and, and, and that we're being um, the sense or, or that we're not being sensitive toward their situation. But here we're going to have um, Mephibosheth's disability brought up numerous times. And the reason is, is because this is a picture of a man who is helpless. If you have someone and you remember even in New Testament times, um, those that were lame that Jesus healed, but they were beggars. They were totally helpless to be able to do anything for themselves, and they had to beg, and they had to constantly ask other people for help in order to just survive. So this man, the, the point here is that this man is totally unable to survive on his own, and he needs help. He's helpless. Something else that we find out here, this man Ziba, who was this house steward of Saul's possessions, he had become well-to-do himself, and he was a caretaker of much wealth. This is quite a bit of um, portion that Saul has left over that this man oversees. And so all of this kind of figures into this. But uh, Ziba is used to uh, being rather experiencing wealth at, at this point, enjoying that. And so Ziba tells David of this particular son of Jonathan, and, of course, David would want to know where he is. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mekur, the son of Amaliel at Lodabar. Um, basically, this describes the fact that for whatever reason or another, Mephibosheth was kind of um, living as an, not as an outlaw, um, but that he was living in exile, kind of, and at another's benevolence. Uh, probably, 
Mephibosheth realized at some point with David becoming king and Ishbosheth's death and all these things, he probably figured I'm a marked man and I need to get out of Israel. And so I'm going to try to find somebody. And he did find somebody in the Valley of Gilead, as we're told here, a man named Makir. And he was, one commentator described him, a wealthy and powerful individual living east of the Jordan in the Valley of Gilead. And this man who is helping Mephibosheth at this point, who needs all the help that he can get in exile, uh, not wanting for David to come after him, so he's hiding out basically. This man that's helping hide Mephibosheth actually ends up, we're going to find out later on in David's life, becoming a very loyal supporter of David. And this man, Makir, is someone who has a kind heart himself. Obviously, if he took Mephibosheth in for all of these years after this man was lame, this was a man who was ready to look after others in difficult straits. And so Mephibosheth is able to stay with him. We're going to find out later Mephibosheth has a son. And so his family is staying with this man too. Um, and this man has been very generous in this way. But David wants to be even more generous than even this man could. And he sends for Mephibosheth and he's brought to the palace. And so we see verse five, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekur, the son of Amaliel. At Lobadar, and it wants to highlight the fact of where this man is from, because later on, he's going to factor into being a very helpful person for David. And verse 6, and Mephibosheth, the son Jonathan's son of Saul's lineage, is going to appear before the king. Saul, who considered himself an enemy of David, David didn't, didn't feel likewise with Saul. Saul, who considered David his enemy, now one of his offspring is going to appear before this king. And there's some tension here. And remember, as uh, Mephibosheth is appearing before David, uh, there is, uh, in any other kingdom, if this were to take place, this man would be, we, we call this today, one phrase would be a dead man walking. And basically his days are numbered. Um, in any other kingdom, if this sort of situation had been brought to bear and this man would appear before the king, uh, he wouldn't have long to live. Let's just be candid here. And so, as you can imagine, you, you can tell from this uh, description, um, Mephibosheth's probably a little nervous. And so he came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And in a final moment of tension here, David calls his name and David said, Mephibosheth, and in the ESV, there's an exclamation point after that. And I don't know if it made it sound like commanding, like maybe Mephibosheth is thinking, uh-oh, this is the end. And yet he answers, behold, I am your servant. Notice Mephibosheth. By the way, that's hard to say a bunch of times, so bear with me. I wanted to call him Mephib or, or Phibi or something, but it's inappropriate, so... Mephibosheth is certainly anxious here, and he responds with humility and honoring David. Behold, I am your servant. David, whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'd be glad to do. I don't know why I'm here. You know, maybe he's even thinking of, maybe he's getting ready. I, this is probably a good possibility, getting ready to beg for his life. You know, I mean, the rest of his family has been wiped out. Ishbosheth, remember what happened to him? 
So what is David going to do? Well, we know the story, right? But there's that little bit of tension still. In verse 7, David breaks through that tension. And he acts to fulfill a covenant promise. And he pledges to fulfill his promise. First of all, it's words, but it will turn into actions. And David said to him, David could tell he was a little nervous. And so David wanted to assure him, my intentions are merciful. He said, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore you to all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. Now, again, we're so familiar with this story to let's really focus on um, the grace and the kindness that David is giving here. I really think that David is still in awe over the kindness that God has shown him in the Davidic covenant. Remember how his response to the Lord, Lord, who am I? I don't deserve this. I was just a shepherd in the field. And you made me king and you provided me uh, the ability to, um, to rule over Israel. You've given us victory from all of our enemies and, and all of these things. And so David, who's just been this marvelous recipient of infinite grace from God, now he showers grace upon this helpless man, this individual. You know, it's kind of a reversal if you think back to that, or, uh, I guess, ahead to the New Testament. Remember the unforgiving steward parable? where the man is forgiven so much and goes out and he threatens that other man who owed him so much less and throws him in prison. Well, none of that for David here. Exact opposite. David says, I realize how much I've been forgiven and how much God has done for me. And I want to share that with other people. And Mephibosheth, I have a covenant. I had a promise I made with your dad. I'm going to shower you with blessings and with God's grace in your life. I'm going to show you loyal love. That word for kindness is that beautiful Old Testament word, one of the most beautiful in the Old Testament, chesed. And that represents God's loyal love. We see that throughout the book of Ruth and many other places. And David is saying here, I'm going to show you God's loyal love to you, Mephibosheth. As he has shown it to me, great chesed, I'm going to show great chesed to you. Because of the relationship that I had with your father, Jonathan. And then specifically, I'm going to give you back all of the property that Saul owns. And this would have been all of the property restored that this man, Ziba, this house steward, had oversight over. And now this would go to Mephibosheth and his family. And this is a considerable amount as we continue to read here. This is no, Saul was no pauper. He had his own resources, and all of this goes to Mephibosheth now. But if that one, and, and certainly Mephibosheth wouldn't have expected any of this. Can you imagine? Just think about that. He's getting ready to plead for his life, and all of a sudden David says, No, it's okay. I've actually got a gift for you. Land, well, my, my friend Ziba here, he's going to, to pass it on, on to you. You're, you're the rightful heir. I'm going to make sure. And that was beyond anything Mephibosheth. And really, in some ways, that was, if you look back to what we read in the covenant with Jonathan, that was beyond even what Jonathan had expected from David. But David goes beyond in the grace and love that he shows this man again, because he has a heart for God, I think, and because of all that God's done for him. But that was, if that wasn't enough, then he would continue this, uh, magnanimous 
graciousness. I just wanted to say that. By allowing this man to not only to be restored to the land and the wealth, but to continually eat at his table. And here now, in one sense, is kind of restored back to David's initial um, presence with Saul and with Jonathan and how they all ate at the table together. I'm sure David missed those times. He probably didn't miss the spear being thrown at him. Well, that caveat. But I'm sure he missed those times with his friend. And now Mephibosheth is invited to be with him. And in a sense, that can continue. Jonathan's presence at his table continues through his son. But do you realize also what, would, what, what that means? At the king's table would be the place where the king would be comfortable um, talking about his counsel and his plans and his conversations. He would have had um, his generals many times with him. He would have had people with him. And it would have been where, he, where sensitive information sometimes would have been shared at the king's table. And isn't that just remarkable that David says, you who in any other culture, in any other kingdom circumstance, you would be considered my enemy, Mephibosheth, a threat to my throne. I'm going to allow you to sit at my table every day and hear um, the conversations about government and about all these things and trust that you know, you'll know what to do with those things. It, it really is remarkable what David is offering him here in all of this, the love and kindness and Dave and Mephibosheth, just like David, when God offered him so much, Mephibosheth is obviously overwhelmed. And he paid homage. He's honoring David and said, what is your servant? Remember how David said, who am I? Mephibosheth says here, what is your servant? What, why would you even consider showing regard for such? And he has this incredibly humbling term here as such a dead dog, such as I. And remember, dogs were not considered um, valuable animals at this time. They were considered the worst animals in society. So if you're calling yourself a dog, you're calling yourself one of the most useless uh, things in society. And Mephibosheth, for so long, has operated under that way. And the culture has really looked at him as useless. And now here's David showering these gifts of grace on him. And he says, I don't deserve any of this. I'm just, you know, I have, in, in this culture, I have no use at all. And yet you're showing me this grace. Well, David just doesn't pledge to fulfill the promise, but he acts to fulfill the promise. And that's the rest of the passage here. Now the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now we find out here that Ziba had 15 sons and servants. He was well off himself. Now let's just think through this as a side note here. Ziba has been enjoying the benefits of all of this himself. And do you think there might be some tension and some, there might have been some struggle here in Ziba's heart as he finds out, Ziba, um, I'm giving all of this back to Mephibosheth. And you and your sons and your servants, you're going to go back to what you did under Saul, and you're going to be servants. You're going to serve um, Saul's kinfolk, Mephibosheth, and you're going to farm the land, and you're going to provide food for Mephibosheth and his family. 
And even though he's going to sit at my table and I'm going to provide him food, you're going to help with this as well. Now, Zebus didn't, this isn't a bad deal for him. He still gets to live on the property. He still gets to enjoy the benefits and the possessions of Saul's family, but it is a change of circumstance for him. And I kind of wonder in the back of his mind if this is a frustration for him. But look, he has a good response. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so, you, you, so will your servant do. Basically, he says, as you wish, <laughs> I'll do that. Now, we're going to find out much later on that it seems that, that the Lord, that, that the scriptures give us indication that maybe Ziba had a little more trouble with this than what he lets on here. I'm not going to give that away yet. And by the way, as we continue this study, I decided at this point that we're eventually going to move this to a Sunday school format for the rest of the study of David's life eventually. And we're going to find out that most likely that Ziba, this was a struggle for him and that he was looking for an opportunity to get back some of what he had had. But right now, this man is willing to do what David has asked him to do. And all these blessings then take place. Mephibosheth is granted all this land, and he has his servants working the land and providing for him. And so um, it says at the end of verse 11, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just as David said, just like one of the king's sons. It was kind of like old times for David in that way. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. That's another remarkable thing. Here is uh, Mephibosheth has a son who, from all accounts, is healthy um, and would, in most circumstances, be eligible as a grandson of the king to be king himself. And David allows this um, son as well to eat with him without thinking of him as a threat to the kingdom. Remarkable. And so David was good to his word. In the end here, verse 13, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. And then we're pointing out this again as we end the story here. Oh, come on. We have to bring this up again. He was lame in both of his feet. Why? <laughs> Three or four times it's mentioned. Because the narrator is pointing out this man was helpless. He was dependent upon all those around him. And David, through God's blessing, David, God blessed this man um, who was helpless. And it really is this beautiful picture then of David recognizing all that God had given him. Lord, I don't deserve this. Let me give this to others. Let me be faithful to my covenant with Jonathan and, and find someone. Oh, I'm a bibishop. And oh, he's helpless. He needs help. And I'm going to shower him with all of these blessed David's loyal kindness as an act of God's grace. Well, what do we take away from this beautiful story? Well, folks, even as we look at what God's given us, let's, let's be aware of those that need our help. And certainly we don't want to have um, a character of a political nature or something that we're always only, um, looking and helping those who can be of help to us. Oh, you can, you help me, I'll help you. And that's always a good scenario. But you know, if you can't do much for me, then I just don't have time for you. We would never want to have that kind of character or that said about us in, in any way. And David, certainly, uh, that was not a part of his character. 
but as well, are we willing to look around and make sure that, the, that those that need help, that we're willing to do that? Maybe even if we have to sacrifice our time and of our resources, because we look at all that God's given us and eternal home in heaven and say, Lord, I can sacrifice some time for that individual. Uh, I probably won't get anything out of it. It's, it. This is just out of love and kindness shown um, to this person, to what you've shown to me. I'll help this person. And David here is a good example. God's working in his life in this. And it's something that we need to be aware of as well. And, and again, again, being faithful to our commitment to God is a general principle here that David did in his covenant with Jonathan. He was faithful to his promises and God's um, expectations in his life. And we need to say, Lord, help us to be faithful in our commitment to God. And help me to be aware of those around me that need um, all, all the gifts that we talked about this morning in our spiritual gift study are given to the church to help the church body, to help those in need. And from all the wealth that God has given us, he gives us spiritual gifts to now help others and help them come alongside and bear each other's burdens. So we need to do that too. Maybe ask yourself this week, Lord, who's the next person, who's the next Mephibosheth that I can help in thinking of all that you have blessed me with? Lord, we, uh, as we finish up for a time, we put a kind of a pause on the study of David's life. We find this story of David remarkable and just, it's so heartening and so beautiful that he would be willing to do this. Not all out of his generosity and, and, and gladness and gratefulness for what you had done for him. And Lord David knew that he wasn't much and that he didn't deserve what you've given him. And he was willing to show that to others. Lord, help us to not clutch our position, but help us to be willing to use those, be grateful and thankful for what you've given us and use those to help others. Father, we've been given the greatest gift of all. That is a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith in him. And we have all the access to all the riches in heaven and eternal inheritance. These are glorious gifts to help us certainly not to be like the unforgiving steward and not forgive those around us or help those around us. But let us be motivated to thankfulness and gratefulness, to minister, to look for others that we can help and to serve them. And to be a good example of your loyal love to us. Help us to do that well until Jesus returns. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.